Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Today we're going to talk about something that I want to approach in a slightly different way, and that is parenting plans. So this episode is about how to create co-parenting plans for an amicable co-parenting relationship. So you have two things going on in divorce settlements. You have a co-parenting plan, which is when do the children spend time with me versus the other parent? And then there are a few other things in terms of how to make decisions for your children, for medical uh, decisions, education, culture, religion, and moving the children to a different residence. So those things are all in place for the typical co-parenting plan, but you have something more to consider, and it's the co-parenting relationship. If the co-parenting relationship is good, you can deal with changes that come up that have not been placed into the custody and visitation schedule of your settlement agreement, you can really deal with anything that comes up for your children if you have a good co-parenting relationship. So you have two things happening. You have the tone and issues in the marriage playing out in the co-parenting relationship while the divorce is being filed for and after the divorce. See, when you no longer have legal professionals uh, with you, you no longer have a mediator, you no longer have an attorney, you no longer have a document preparation company, you're totally divorced, you're on your own. Now the going gets tough. Because if your co-parent, if your marital relationship and the way your relationship evolved during the divorce is not good, you're going to have a very difficult time in the co-parenting relationship and with all the decisions that have to do with co-parenting your children. So I'm going to approach this in two ways. I'm going to approach this logistically and I'm going to approach this in terms of the relationship. I'm going to do this um, with advice as you're going through the decisions for the settlement agreement, and then what to do once the divorce is over. So here I'm going to start. Number one, and this is super important, include everything in the marital settlement agreement that has to do with your children and refer to the settlement agreement to avoid arguments after the divorce is final. I cannot tell you how many people forget about where they put their settlement agreement. They forget about what they actually put in their settlement agreement and they don't refer to it. If anything comes up where they have a different memory, a different approach. So your marital settlement agreement should have everything from soup to nuts 
in regards to how the custody and visitation is going to go, how the decision-making is going to go about where the kids get moved to, if you have to move from your address, and everybody has to move. When you have small children and you're getting divorced, you're going to end up moving. I guarantee you probably once before they graduate from high school. So you're going to make decisions about where the kids live. You're also going to make decisions about how to spend money on the children, what miscellaneous activities you're going to need, uh, what happens if somebody's income changes, what happens if something comes up that wasn't even considered during the divorce settlement decisions. So I cannot tell you how important what you put in that settlement agreement is and how important it is after the divorce is final to consult that marital settlement agreement. Before you spend money on mediators or attorneys, consult the settlement agreement. You may find the answers to your issues there. And a settlement agreement is like any other contract. Contracts are there for memory. Contracts appear to make people honest and committed. Listen, if somebody doesn't want to be honest, they're going to uh, violate any settlement agreement, any business contract. That's just what people do. Contracts are written, settlement agreements are written for memory. So people remember what they decided. Now, I do agree that there's so many important things in a settlement agreement that you may have to go to court after the fact. If the settlement agreement is being breached, you may have to go to court. But there are people who will come back to a mediator if anything has changed from the time they wrote the settlement agreement to present day. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. When both people are invested in going to a mediator, that's beautiful. I, 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 I love those people. I welcome those people because they are honestly and truly trying to do the right thing by their children. That also shows me that, that, that ideally they would like to have a good co-parenting relationship. And it's the relationship that creates the foundation from which any decisions will be discussed and dealt with once the divorce is final, if it hadn't already been placed in the settlement agreement. So the relationship that you strike as you're filing for divorce will create the tone and the direction of how you and the co-parent move forward once the divorce is final. Number two, I have a lot under this category. Avoid arguments by looking at all aspects of the co-parenting relationship and decision-making while you're creating the settlement agreement. So here are a variety of things to consider putting in the settlement agreement that will handle decision-making going forward. You have to be creative. You have to move, move your thinking forward uh, in a way that you, A, look at each other and say, well, you know, he or she is always late. Maybe we need to put a provision about being late picking up the children, bringing the children back, late on decision-making uh, once the divorce is final. 
So here is my little laundry list of things. Include third party, third parties who might be used to pick up children from school or after school events. Consider a third party. This is super important. So initially, when you're putting your parenting plan together, you're each going to say, yes, of course, if uh, Johnny is with me for an overnight, I'm going to pick Johnny up from school, take Johnny to his activities, if there are any, and uh, then bring him to my house and then bring Johnny to school the next day. Okay, so that's easy, right? But what if you can't? What if you're in relationship with another person who has a much more flexible schedule than you do? Does your other, does the other co-parent know about this? Is the other co-parent comfortable with somebody other than you picking up Johnny from school? Now, you might be able to say it's not their business. You can argue that point. It's not their business. And that's fine. You may be right. It's not their business who picks them up. It's my business. It's my decision making. It's my responsibility to safely pick my child up from school. And if I can't do it, I'd like to have somebody else do it. Okay, but This is not only about the logistics. This is about the relationship of co-parenting. So if you want to formulate a good relationship, let the other parent know that you are in relationship with somebody else. If they don't already know it, they should. We'll get to that in a minute. And that this other person is a really safe driver. And you would like to be able to rely on that person. And it's not so much asking permission as it is making this a joint effort. Now, what if your spouse says, no, forget it. I don't know how so-and-so drives. I don't want this to happen. You then have to come back and say, look, I, I want you to feel as comfortable as possible. This is how conversations can go. I want you to feel as comfortable as possible. If you're not comfortable and you don't know about the driving expertise of my new partner, let's all get in a car and drive. Be open to that. Wouldn't that be interesting? Let's all get in a car and drive. I want you to be comfortable because I might have to rely on so-and-so to pick up Johnny from school every now and then. It's always good to have a third person that you both are comfortable with. Number two. Oh, the pick up late clause. This is a very important clause. Some people are just late. They just are. There's nothing you can do about it. Some people run late in life. Some people actually like working against the clock. Believe it or not, you have to do a pick up late clause. Okay. So if it's picking up for school, that's a big, that's a big issue because the school is responsible for your child until, until you're picked up. Your child doesn't understand what's going on. Maybe your child knows mom or dad is always late. Do you think that makes your child feel comfortable? It doesn't. What if your child's the only one left at school? Do you know how many times that happens? You have to put a pickup late clause in there and there has to be a penalty for it. There has to be wiggle room. Like you can only be so many minutes late to pick up our child from school or you have to figure out how to get somebody there to pick them up within and then you have to name an amount of time. 
Okay, but what about picking them up late or dropping them off late at your house? You also have to have a provision there. I cannot tell you how important communication is in these situations. You don't ever want to start an argument. You want to learn how to communicate without being accusatory. You don't want to use uh, first and second person pronouns, you, you, you. You want to use third person pronouns, it, when that happens, when it happens. If you go third person, you will not put the other person on the defensive as much as you may want to because they're always late and they cause, they make you crazy, but please don't. You know, this is about your children and, and you want your child to be picked up by a parent in a pleasant mood. You have to put constraints around late. You really do. First of all, establish a reasonable time for the other parent to drop off or pick up. You kind of know the other parent well enough to know how to do that. I'm I'm hoping, I assume. Um, But put provisions in place. If you are half an hour late, uh, the children will will not be available to be picked up. 20 minutes late, whatever you want to say. And please call me if you're going to be late. So what if they call you at, uh, they're 20 minutes late picking the kids up and they call you then, oh my, I, I can't believe it. Oh my stars, so much traffic. I'll get there in 20 minutes, which means well over half an hour late. You have to think through what the provisions are going to be uh, for still having the children available. And it has to be in the settlement agreement. So it's right there. Oh, I can't believe you're being such a hard ass. Believe it. I need my life. I need order in my life. I understand time is tough for you and I'm trying to be flexible, but you have to understand that you're hanging me up. You may be married to a, a, a class A narcissist who couldn't care less about your time, but you do. Put the provisions in the settlement agreement and refer to it. Uh, Three, asking for co-parents help in the other parent's house. You know, there was an HBO show. I think it was only on for two seasons, maybe about four or five years ago, starring Sarah Jessica Parker. And I can't remember the wonderful male actor. It was called Divorce. They're getting divorced. He lets her have the house. He comes to drop the kids off, walks in the house. She wants him to fix things around the house. Inappropriate. Completely inappropriate. Unless you have that type of relationship that's very close. You know, you just got divorced because you both fell out of love. Nobody's fault. Nobody's angry at one another. And you are in that right space where you can ask the other parent, former spouse, to do something around the house. Great. But not everybody has that. Don't take the assumptive position that you can still ask for them to do physical things around the house. It's inappropriate. This is your house and you take care of it. That could go in the settlement agreement, but that's something that has to do with the relationship in general. It doesn't necessarily have a place in the settlement agreement, but be mindful that you're working outside of a divorced relationship now. Five, 
attending children's school events and sitting together. There should be something in the settlement agreement that talks about uh, even though it may not be the other parents' day, they're still allowed and should attend all the kids' social events or school events, athletic events, whatever events. And depending on the relationship, do you want to put in the settlement agreement that you're very open to sitting together? I know this may sound picky, but I'm telling you, these are things that drive a wedge through the relationship. Think about it. Think how to handle that for the settlement agreement. Uh, another one, introducing new partners to the other parent and the children. This is so huge. I can't even tell you how important this is. And it's very different with each couple. Um, sometimes things happen organically in life. It's kind of like a general consensus of humans that, um, that, that provide a level of expectation. So this was a few years ago. I started having a number of different couples come to me when we had the settlement agreement and say, can we put anything in there about how to introduce a new partner to the children? And they wanted, these couples that came to me with this idea, they wanted to be introduced to the new partner first so that when the partner was introduced to the children, the children wouldn't have to worry that the other parent didn't know yet. So very important to think of your children and how decisions are going to affect them. So there were so many people that said, can we please put this in the settlement agreement that I will be introduced to the other parent's new partner before the children, just so we could have a connection and then introduce to the children. And then there are actually other people that don't ever want to be introduced to the other partner, which I don't think benefits anybody. I don't think that's to the other parent's benefit. I think if you have somebody around your children, you should know who they are. I mean, for their own safety and protection, maybe you can pick up nuances of things that the other parent didn't pick up because they were looking at other aspects of this person that they found favor with and therefore wanted to engage in a relationship with them. But you know how we can tell when somebody's not the right person to marry, but the one who's in relationship with that person can't see it? It's the same thing with new partners. You just need to be comfortable with this new person around your children. You can't dictate to the other parent who to be with. You can't, but you can at least know who your children are going to be around. Um, and it's always about, do your children feel they have information that they are carrying with them that the other parent doesn't know? You have to remember you're putting your kids in the line of fire. And then when the issue of so-and-so is going to pick the kids up from school, that becomes a non-issue because you've already met. All right, that's my two cents. Uh, next, moving your address to another county or more than 20 miles away from their school. This affects the co-parenting. So there are provisions in our California settlement agreements that request that you only live 20 miles away from the other parent. 
sometimes this is impossible. The rents in Los Angeles or Southern California, well, all of California are crazy, ridiculous, out of sight, out of sight, sky high rents. And maybe you do have to move farther away. Your parenting plan is going to change. Um, the, the, the number of overnights are going to change. Because if you move too far away from their school and you have them for an overnight, do you know how early you have to get up to take the kids to school? Do you know how early the kids have to get up to go to school? It may not be practical. You may be really imposing on your children's health and welfare simply by doing what you need to do, and that's get housing that's affordable. So... Think this through and really take a future look at your employment situations, your careers, the school districts, and how moving more than 20 miles away might affect the amount of time you're with your children. And, you know, put some provisions in your settlement agreement about that. Oh, a provisional clause if the payor spouse loses their job or even if either spouse loses their job. So in the child support section, which is part of the co-parenting plan, uh, because child support is factored into the amount of time children are with each parent. So really discuss what happens if something happens to my job. Okay, good example, Los Angeles. Uh, and, and greater Southern California, we've had the writer's strike, the actor's strike, the everybody's strike. Parents weren't working. I mean, actors and writers, that affects the entire industry. So people that provided uh, technical support, cameras, photography, every single thing connected with making television shows and movies, everybody was affected. And then there was COVID preceding that. So there was a huge discussion in family law about, well, what do we do? You can't make people pay off of money they're not earning right now. So the recipient is upset. Why can't I have my child support? Well, there's no money coming in. It changes the game. How are people supposed to continue paying you if they're not making any money? I, I, I mean, this is just plain old dollars and cents. You have to put provisions in there. If you're in an industry, especially that tends to go on strike, and we do, the entertainment industry tends to go on strike, put some provisions in there. What do you do? How do you scramble? You can't penalize the, the payor. I mean, it's not their fault that they're on strike, but you have to really think this through. Um, and here's a huge one to finish off this section about avoid arguments by looking at all aspects of a co-parenting schedule and relationship. Include a meeting. I got this from an author, Andy Heller, who I'm going to be interviewing soon. He wrote a fabulous book, but that's upcoming. So I, I, as I'm preparing for his interview and reading the book, there was a great section that said, include a meeting with a parenting plan coordinator or a therapist, possibly even a divorce coach, but somebody who specializes in the co-parent relationship for post-divorce issues. I had never really thought about this. But I'm, re I'm definitely considering it. Like I have referred 
co-parenting therapists who specialize in co-parenting plans and how to deal with the relationship of the co-parents. But I never really thought about putting that in a settlement agreement. I mean, you learn something new every day. So I think this is a great idea to talk about this and see if both parents are okay with somebody meeting with them, not every month, not every week, maybe every other month, to look at issues that are coming up after the divorce is final that they need to talk through. This is especially important if you're married to somebody who has a high conflict personality. Narcissism is a high conflict personality. Being a blamer is a high conflict personality. Um, anybody with a high conflict personality, I think it's a great idea to put in the settlement agreement that we will meet whatever you think it takes, once a month, every other month, to look at issues that are coming up that we didn't think about and help us work through these uh, for the benefit of our children and so that we can continue to have a wonderful co-parenting relationship. Okay, that's done with section two. Section three, have a joint bank account established for children's expenses. This is so important. Discuss all activities well ahead of time when money has to be provided. Okay. So in the, in, in the settlement agreement, the marital settlement agreement, there is discussion of miscellaneous expenses for the children and that you're both supposed to discuss these well ahead of time so that it doesn't catch anybody off guard. But I'm telling you, there are so many situations where either the parents are blindsided because the kids don't tell them about things coming up at school and it's the last minute. What do we do? Field trips. I don't know. Every school has a minimum amount of time in which you have to get your money in for field trips. But in general, a joint bank account simply for kids' expenses is a wonderful thing to have so that one parent doesn't have to pay the whole thing and ask the other parent for money back. So if you look at things coming up ahead of time as much as you can do, if you look at the things your kids are going to need ahead of time, cell phones, computers, summer camp, field trips, any other type of uh, social activities or artistic activities. Look at these things months ahead of time and vacations too. Look at these things months ahead of time. Uh, discuss how much you want to spend on them. Put the money aside in the bank account. Having both signatures on a bank account would be great. So one parent isn't totally in control, but it, it kind of ends up with one parent being in charge of writing the checks. But please do not think that, well, you know, I just pay, I just paid for it myself because of course I figured you would like it. I know it's at the last minute. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're disrespecting the other parent. Don't take the assumptive position like that. Treat the parent with ultimate respect. Enough advance warning. So you can have a discussion about it. Don't try and trick the parent into an activity because they're so difficult to deal with that I, I just had to get it done. Cruising for a bruising on that one. 
Keep a minimum balance in the account and deposit money once a month ahead of when it's needed. Always work ahead. As much much advanced planning as humanly possible. And then C, both parents' names should be on the account. That's what I just said. Okay, section four. Consider how to create a co-parenting schedule and plan with all the kids' activities first, all the kids' needs first, and then look out how the parents can support their schedule. Okay, let me say that another way. When you're approaching a co-parenting schedule, look at the kids' schedules first. This is how you create a really good co-parenting plan. Look at the kids' schedules first. When do they have to get up? When do they have to be at school? Do they always eat breakfast? They should. Uh, When are they out of school? What are their activities after school? What are their activities on the weekends? So put that all on a calendar first. Now look at your schedules, each parent, and look at how... You can be flexible enough to meet the children's schedule needs. Somebody may be inflexible. What if one parent, the higher earner, travels a lot? Well, you're not going to end up having 50-50 time. Doesn't work like that. You have to be available. Okay, so you know that if you're traveling, I guess. But um, do not insist on 50-50 co-parenting time if you can't spend time with your children. So I just gave an extreme example of that. If you're traveling a lot, you're not going to get 50-50 time. Well, what if you don't travel a lot, but you're at work a lot? What if you work from home after you come home from work? What if you were never an involved parent when it was two parents in one household? Don't insist on an even split in time if you're not going to be with your children. Don't do that to them. It's not fair to them. And don't don't say, well, you know, they're with their grandparents. No, they want to be with you. You're the other parent. You're the one that has to bond with them. You see, when it's two parents in a household, one parent can work a lot, but the kids know you're coming home at night. The kids know they may see you when they get up for breakfast. When there are two different households, the the kids won't get to see you at all. If you have somebody else picking them up from school and bringing them to grandparents' house and you don't see them till till after they go to bed or to put them to bed, you're not developing your own relationship with the children. And you have to remember this. It's not just a matter of picking them up from school, getting their homework done, getting them to their activities and putting them to bed. It's about developing your own one-on-one relationship with them. And that's what people aren't thinking about when they, do, when, when, um, when they say, well, what does it matter? They love their grandparents. It really does matter. They love you more. They want to be with you. And then they can be with their grandparents. You be with them too. Uh, Number two under this, make child support money secondary to the relationship you're building with your children. If you can't be there and attentive to your children half of the time, but you want 50-50 because it decreases your child support money, you are doing your children a disservice. You really are. 
The money you spend on child support must be secondary to the time you spend with your children. And if you can't be with your children because you're a high income earner and you have to work great, you'll be able to afford the best for your children. But let your children know you care about them by being with them. Forget arguing about child support money. It's just not worth it. Um, okay, and then number five, section number five addiction, and behavioral issues. I cannot tell you the number of people who don't bring this up because they just want to get through the divorce. So they know one parent has an addiction issue. It could be to substance abuse things. It could be to gambling. It could be to pornography. But whatever it is, it takes them away from their focus on their children and their children could easily be in harm's way. Do not ignore this. It is so ultimately important that every single decision you make for the settlement agreement has the health and welfare of your children first, primary. That's the focus. And if you can do that, you're being the best parent you can possibly be. So under that, get legal advice. You have to, if you have certainly a substance abuse issue or a pornography issue or an anger management issue, this has to be openly discussed and not in an accusatory way, in a way that is caring for the individual who is has this as a challenge, but also for the health and welfare of your children. You cannot put your children in harm's way. When you get legal advice, you're going to understand as the parent who's not addicted to anything, as the parent who doesn't have substance abuse issues, shopping issues aside, of course. We, we may, special treatment if you have shopping addictions. <laughs> Kidding. Get legal advice. You would be shocked at what your level of responsibility is if you say nothing, if you let this child be with the other parent just because you've just got to get the divorce done and over with. Yes. Oh, yes. You're putting your children in harm's way and you must understand the law and how it affects you for doing this. I will, I will tell you that I had a client years ago who didn't want to deal with that issue and something happened. I mean, not irreparably to the child. Neighbors called in child protective services. The child was taken away from both parents because the one parent who knew that there were issues going on with the other parent did nothing about it. Now, they got the child back, but they had to go to classes. They had to spend money. That, that Stuff had to happen in order for them to learn how to be good parents. Parenting doesn't come easy or, or, or um, um, naturally does it. It really doesn't. It's a learned experience. <laughs> I guess we learn it after they're out of the house. Um, under this uh, B, speak up. Don't avoid this discussion just to avoid an argument or to get the divorce finalized. Speak up. Think about how to speak up, but speak up. Definitely get legal advice. And lastly, under this section, put provisions in place if the substance 
challenged spouse wavers on staying clean. Okay, you have to do this. Okay, first of all, nobody wants to be addicted to substances. Nobody. So give the person a break, but not that much of a break that you're going to ignore it. This is about your children. Again, everything is about the health and welfare and safety of your children. You know, I heard of a person who uh, had a spouse who was volatile, very angry during the, during the divorce. One child, adolescent, said nothing about the inappropriate sexual behavior of one parent towards the child, said nothing about it during the divorce. Divorce is final. The parent who was concerned but said nothing made a call to um, uh, to their mediator and said, look, I didn't say anything during the divorce, but um, I was always worried that there was inappropriate sexual activity between the other parent and the child. And now I'm convinced of it now that we're living in two households. Legal advice was the only way to go. I don't know how that case ended up, by the way. I don't. All I know is, holy heck, you said nothing. And you've been divorced. I guess they were divorced a year or two, I understand. Uh, And now saying something, I mean... Parenting is so difficult. Honestly, my heart goes out to every single person, every single parent who has children and are getting divorced. It's just completely difficult to do. But honestly, if you understand that you have two tasks, the first task is Try and develop the best co-parenting relationship you can because you're going to need to rely on that relationship going forward and put everything you can possibly put into the settlement agreement so that you can use this document as a reference before you get any other legal professionals involved after the divorce is final. And I know that going to court is the thing people want to do the least. Sometimes you simply may have to, to get a judge, the highest authority involved. But let's try and avoid that at all costs by talking through every single aspect of the co-parenting relationship and the logistics necessary to co-parent your child amicably. All right, so that's all I've got for you today on this episode. That was a lot. I hope this has helped you uh, in any way moving forward. If you're in the middle of negotiating your settlement agreement, I know you have a lot to think about. And if it's after divorce and you're just trying to get tips on how to do this better, I think this will be helpful as well. Please share this with anybody going through divorce who has children Please sign up and subscribe if you haven't. Please let me know any topics you would be interested in by either emailing me, uh, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com or go on my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com and on the 
uh, the page with the episodes, you'll see speaker pipe and you can email me through there. But as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.